0: Welcome to Resistance Radio. I am John Kane and I am joined by Regan DeLoggins, who is my regular co-host on the program. And uh, look, we, we're going to get into where we are with COVID-19. You know, and I know there's a lot of people talking about, uh, in general, you know, uh, getting kids back to school and states opening up, uh, in, including New York State. But there's got to be a little bit of a reality check. So that's what we're going to talk about today. But before we get into it, I do want to remind people that, uh, look, we are uh, Listener Support Radio. And we count on your support, both as we broadcast on, on WBAI in New York City and as we broadcast in Washington, D.C. on WPFW uh, so I'm asking you to go to the pledge line. I'm asking you, if you're listening in New York, please go to 516-620-3602, or you can go online, you can go to WBAI.org, or go to their specific webpage, which is give2wbai.org. Make a donation, do it in the name of Resistance Radio with John and Regan. Uh, and uh, you know, look, the station will appreciate it, I will appreciate it. If you're listening in Washington, I encourage you to go to 202 588 uh, again, 202-588-9739. Or go online to WPFWFM.org and you can follow the prompts there uh, to make a donation again to, to WPFW in the name of Resistance Radio. Uh, you know, look, we're we are uh, solely, almost solely uh, funded by listeners making donations of this kind and the very kind that I'm asking for right now. So I, I greatly appreciate anybody who's who, who look at this show. And while I'm not pitching a premium or uh, or a product or, you know, or, or a voice on your answering, <laughs> answering machine, whatever, whatever. Um, we are trying to pitch this show as the premium it's you know look this has been suggested before but this is what we're delivering the product that we're giving you is 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 not a a product you're going to get in the mail you're going to get it the way you're getting it right now whether you're listening online uh, you know on, on uh, streaming online on, on WPFW's website or WBI's website or if you're watching us on stream live on facebook Or if you're listening on, uh, you know, uh, on the airwaves in Washington, D.C. or, or in New York City, this is the product. Uh, that we're that we're providing and we're hoping that you have value you see some value in what we're doing here so again I ask you to go to the pledge lines I'll give I'll give both for New York City and for WBAI it's 516-620-3602 if you are listening in Washington DC then it's 202-588-9739 I'll remind you later on in the program but uh, you know it is really important that that you support these stations Uh, these stations are unique in that not only are they Providing you with Resistance Radio, but they have actually provided a native voice on their airw- airwaves much longer than I've been around. I'm, you know, probably the the most recent iteration. Uh, and although I've been here for a while. I'm the most recent iteration of of a native voice on these stations. And you know, to demonstrate your appreciation for this kind of diverse perspective, uh, the best way to do it is to make a donation. Make a, make a donation to WBBAI or WPFW. All right, Regan, are we, uh, are, are we buckled in?
1: I have no idea. I sure hope so.
0: <laughs> well, it's good to hear your voice. Look, I know... Look, there's a lot of stuff going on, and I've been really frazzled because I'm in the in the midst of a of, of a battle over mascots at my old high school, and and that has really heated up, and it, and it and it's taken a lot of my time, and and as many many of you listening to the to the program know that this is something that I'm passionate about, but in the midst of all this. We are still dealing with a with a global pandemic, and I think a lot of people have have started to dismiss this, I mean, whether it's COVID fatigue or or whatever. But but I've got a personal story you know, that I need to tell about this, but also just statistically, New York State has led every other state in the United States in in terms of the the number of uh, of daily new cases. Every day for the last week, it, it was real close with, uh, I think, with with Texas. Uh, I think you know one day last week, but but this is what New York is doing, and 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 all we're hearing out of of the governor and various places, and I'm and I'm sure it's, it, I know it's a big issue in New York City. Is oh, it's so important to get the kids back in school, and it's you know maybe it's time to open up, uh, you know, uh, bowling alleys and pool halls and movie theaters and and all this stuff. And look, everybody can have their own judgments about what, how effective any of that is. But you know, look, the three states that are uh, that have the highest daily rates are New York, Texas, and Florida. Well, what do you think Texas and Florida are doing? And 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 of course, they've you know Texas even lifted their mask uh, you know ban or the uh, requirement, and yeah, and it, and it's just bound to get worse. And of course, there's so did the, the newer variants.
1: Mississippi also. Mississippi oh, well, also lifted their mask ban.
0: And if you look at any of these states statistically, whether you go to Johns Hopkins or I IU's Worldometer, if you look at any of these dashboards, you can see the states that are having the the increase. And 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 again, for all of the the hype that was associated with with you know Andrew Cuomo's handling of of COVID-19, I think it's look you you got to recognize that you know the fact of the matter is that new york state still leads all states in the number of deaths they are you know fourth in the in the number of total cases and and again in the last week new york state has led all states in the number of daily cases so that's just the statistics now let me bring it home a little bit and and i know regan and you you and i talked about this a little bit but so as I'm as I was very much engaged in some of these other battles, like like the mascot issue, um, you know, I, I received my I, I had received my first vaccine. And so on Tuesday, I went and got my uh, my second one. I no sooner got my second vaccine when I got the word that my son tested positive. And, you know, my, my son is in his 30s and and he's got four, you know, uh, boys at home and. So he tested positive, and now it, it's turned out that that another one of my uh, my grandsons um, tested positive, and we're still waiting for the results for two. One, th- one tested negative, one of my grandsons did, and my daughter-in-law tested negative, but my son is tested positive, one of my grandsons is, uh also uh, tested positive, and we're pretty sure we're pro- that the other two, which are my youngest, my twins, my twin grandsons, five years old, and... Where do you think they got it? They, they got it from school. The schools have been opening up in, in Western New York as well. And a large you know, push has been to get the kids back in classes. And, I, and look, I get it. I get it from an education standpoint. But all of this push to get kids back in, in, in schools. Look, my kids, my grandkids are doing fine. You know, you know, little sniffles. You know, some, you know, some symptoms, but but nothing you know debilitating. And and same with my son. He you know he seems to be you know just um, de- showing you know flu or, or mild flu-like symptoms. But the reality is, these schools are becoming the 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 spreader events. The the, the you know these they are becoming the super spreaders. And. It's only going to get worse the more and more people are pushing. You know, I, I know teachers have been complaining about being you know, pushed into circumstances where, where their lives are at risk. And, you know, and, and all the conversation is, well, yeah, but kids aren't at really that much at risk because they don't seem to demonstrate, the, you know, severe illness and that kind of stuff. And that's that may be true, but they take it home. So my grandsons, you know, at least one is tested positive and that's after my grandson spent the weekend at my house and they spent the night at my house. In my house, there's myself and I'm 61 years old. There's my wife who is, uh, you know, who's, uh, you know, 56 years old. And then uh, my father-in-law who's who's 78 years old in my, in my household. So all of us become exposed at some level to, uh, to at least one grandchild that's confirmed to have tested positive. And, and, of course, we, you know, interact a little bit with others. You know, we, we stay pretty much to ourselves. But, but even somebody like myself, who who I think I've been pretty conscientious about a lot of this, I, you know, I come into my studio and, and you know, my studio engineer, Jake, he's sitting, you know, probably within six feet of me. So now I exposed somebody else. Now, just to confirm, I did get tested since then, and I have tested negative, and and, and Jake has tested negative, and my uh, my father-in-law and my and my wife seem to have tested negative. But this is how quickly this thing can get out of hand. And. Now, if you're if you're socially active and going to movie theaters and, and all this other stuff, on top of the fact that your kids are, are are you know being exposed to this, I mean, my my grandkids didn't bring it to school; they got it from school. My son, you know, does go to work, but his work is you know is very limited. He's he's one of the only people in his office, so he's he's not interacting with people. So this is the reality, and, and so I offered this up, and I, and I, Regan, I'm, I'd really be interested in hearing at least what your sense is. How how is it going on the streets in New York? Yeah, you know, and I know you have a couple of friends who are teachers, and I, I don't know how much you yeah. had um, conversations, but w- w- what is your sense for for the climate? Um, not just of fear that remains with COVID. I mean, because we know how bad it was, but uh, but are are people coming? To, you know, are are coming to realize that that New York is going the wrong way?
1: I have a couple thoughts on this. Um, I mean, first and foremost, um, I think that within the per, within the per first couple of weeks of you know things like kind of reopening since Valentine's Day, because you know we had to we had to be open for date night, um, we had to allow indoor seating for date night on Valentine's Day. Really, since then, there's been this like huge shift in the energy of New Yorkers and COVID. Um, and it actually makes me wildly uncomfortable. I think that I think that the reality of COVID fatigue is something that a lot of us joke about, but now that we are actually experiencing it, people are acting out. And I see less people wearing masks. I was on the subway this week um, for the first time in a long time. And I, my, I and the person I was with was, we were the only, a couple of the only two people on the train wearing masks consistently um and there's a lot of people lowering masks to speak to one another like there's certain habits that were acceptable at the beginning of the outbreak before we learned more about covid that i now see rearing their ugly heads and it makes me very uncomfortable you know i'm a very i'm an active person in terms of i'm out often i do mutual aid um you know i I do service and work with unsheltered folks, and I, I you know, I, I'm in community a lot, and so I understand that I'm often a risk for people. And I have the vaccine; I've gotten both doses. I also get tested every week, so you know, I try to be as careful as possible while also still providing for my community. And the reality is that there has been this a, a general change um, in how people, I, specifically New Yorkers, are acting. And I think a lot of this has to do with the fact that things are quote unquote, open back for business and even allowing students to go back to school. Like I understand, I understand um, that it's incredibly unhealthy for parents and students or, or, or children rather to be stuck in a house together for months on end. I know that that's unhealthy. Um, but I do not advocate for public schools to be open, private schools to be open at the same capacity that they were at this time last year. Um, you know, anecdotally, a, a number of my friends who have children who are parents of color, their children have have now have COVID now. You know, and and as you said, you know, there's this this belief that yes, children um, are more resilient to COVID, but children are going ho- going home, and the reality is that people of color, we often live with multiple generations in our home, so then the risk becomes. You know, real, then it's a real risk. It's not just, oh, my child has COVID. It's, oh, my child who lives with, you know, grandparents, who lives with parents, who and those parents have to go to work because there's, a, you know, an economic, uh, uh, there's economic reasons for us to continue to have to go to work, you know, have to pay rent. So there are larger conversations that are not really being had because I think people are just like over it, over COVID you know, and don't get me wrong, I'm over it, too. I would love to not have to be living the life I'm living currently, but not at the risk of my greater community, especially communities of color. Like, I I think that that for me is just something that really isn't being discussed in terms of New York reopening in a way that I expect it to be. There's just this uh, this, this adamant nature to want to you know, summer and spring are around the corner, let's get things going, let's get capitalism going again. Um, you know, even the even the eviction courts are open. Starting March 11th, eviction courts are open. People can be legally removed from their houses officially. You know, that that's an incredibly detrimental and disturbing aspect while the numbers are still so high. Also, even if the numbers were low, Eviction court should not exist. You should not be removing people from their homes ever. Rent is a joke. But I just think that there is just this um, I feel like people have just moved away from fear and embraced the risk and embracing risks is a personal choice, not something that you can force upon community.
0: Right, because the the entire community gets placed at risk because of personal choices. And, exactly. And, you know, so uh, you're right. So this is this idea. You know, this. You know, all of these these folks who are suggesting that their freedoms are being Im- imposed upon. Uh, I mean, th- that might be the most selfish statement that anybody can make in uh, I- considering this year. And and by the way, this week marks the last week that I was in New York for uh, last year. I mean, it was the first week in March. That was my the last show that I broadcasted from New York City, and you know I I made the decision before the shutdown because the shutdown would essentially be in the next couple of weeks. Uh, you know yeah. a year ago, um, but I made the decision a year ago, and this was right after South by uh, South by Southwest was canceled. Uh, the NCAA, yep. you know, tournaments were. These were were conversations. There hadn't been the mass closures, and I and and I made the decision then that I couldn't continue to go to go to New York. So I haven't been to New York since. So here we are, you know, an entire year later. Um, at my co-host at the time, Shawnee Rice, she would stick around and leave New York. I think about a, a week after I, you know, decided I wasn't going to be making the trip anymore, and. She contracted COVID. You know, she was exposed before she left New York, took it home to to her community, and uh, and and she still to this day is does feel some of the effects. She still has not convinced that she's regained her full sense of smell. Left yet? Uh, her roommate, who was actually more sick than she was, has, has suffered hair loss and, and and a few other things you know associated with it. But you know, and I keep you know I keep tabs. I check in with with Shawnee from time to time. Yeah. Me too. Um, and of course, I've, I've had other family. My sister in California has had long term effects. She has been suffering for several months with uh, shortness of breath, uh, has not been able to return to work. And she is a first responder. She's a nurse uh, and she hasn't been able to return to work. So it, it does come home. You know, And so I mentioned Shawnee because she is, you know, she's a, a, you know, I still consider her a part of this show. Um, so you know, we, we have been impacted in my, my, my immediate family with, with my son and my grandchildren who are who are in and out of my household. You know, as you mentioned, multiple, multiple generations. I mean, last weekend I had three grandsons sleeping at my house with my wife and myself and my, my wife's father. So you know we got multiple generations that, that get exposed because that's you know again people of color and people uh, you know native people in particular oftentimes do have you know several generations staying uh, staying in a household which makes us more vulnerable and even as we have gotten more complacent because you know well we made it this far well yeah we made it this far and now what now I've got family members close family members who um, who you know, who are, who are now testing positive. Luckily, nobody has been very sick, um, close to me. Um, although, and we've talked about this in the past, Native communities have suffered uh, losses, not just, you know, con- you know, not the number of infections, but the, but the deaths. You know, a lot of uh, people have talked about Navajo because Navajo is a big, a large populated, a largely populated Native community. But as I run the numbers from, from Seneca Nation, where, where I live here, our numbers on a on a percentage basis, or proportionally, are every bit as bad as what Navajo's experienced. So, this is part of the challenge. And and of course, the other challenge, and you and I talked about this before the show, and uh, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Is, is some of the resistance to to getting the vaccine. I mean, I know, I didn't hesitate when when given the opportunity, but I know, for for some very good causes, because of, of history. There are native people and and certainly um, uh, you know other people of color who are who are indifferent about getting the vaccine.
1: Well, there's a couple of things I wanted to bring up in terms of in relation to COVID. Um, first, John, what you were talking about in terms of how COVID has affected our communities, which is you know this, this study came out on February 5th, uh, 2021, so just uh, just a couple weeks ago. I almost said just a couple of days ago, and then realized we're in March. So uh, just a couple of weeks ago, a study came out that shows that the mortality statistics in terms of Corona and um, and Indigenous populations is the highest. That Native groups are it, that COVID is deadlier to Indigenous groups than any other um, than any other racial group, and that almost almost double. Uh, one in every 475 Indigenous people has died from COVID, according to this APM Research Lab uh, that came out. That specifically, uh, the report is called "Color of Coronavirus Project," and I highly recommend folks take a look at it. It breaks down uh, deaths and mortality by race, um, and this is in this is in comparison to White Americans, Black Americans, Latin, uh, Latinx Americans, Pacific Islander Americans, and Asian Americans. So there's quite a bit of data. Um, but it was shocking for me to see that we are, uh, we experience mortality when, uh, when exposed to COVID at a higher rate than all other groups. And why is that, and again, this is not like in, in terms of competition, but why is that relevant? Because we are also, uh, we, we are the, the least likely to receive government aid and uh, PPE supplies in general in terms of other groups. Uh, For example, at the beginning of COVID, a number of indigenous nations made requests to have PPE sent to reserves. And a number of indigenous nations, rather than receiving PPE, received body bags. And for folks that are unaware, this is not the first time in history where indigenous nations during a pandemic have received body bags rather than PPE rather than hygiene materials, rather than financial support. So to see that even in 2020 and now moving into 2021, Indigenous people are not receiving the same kind of care as other groups, and therefore we are the most likely to die is relative. It is is medical racism. You know, it's it's an incredibly insidious aspect of coronavirus for Indigenous people to not have access to the same. Uh, the same wants and needs as other, as other racialized groups, as other um, targeted groups. So I highly recommend that folks check out this Color of Coronavirus Project uh, paper that was released because it was it was incredible to see the actual statistic in terms of how we are adversely affected to covid and it's not just Diné Nation or Navajo Nation you know of course their their numbers were so high and there was a lot of attention which is you know great and important and they were able to successfully raise millions of dollars and provide for their community but it's also other other indigenous groups are adversely affected by covid and i think that something that was incredibly poignant and uh, uh, in response to uh, how COVID has adversely affected indigenous nations was the work that Abigail Echo Hawk did. Um, She works for the uh, United Indian Health Institute based out of so-called Seattle. And not only has this, not only has UIHI provided incredible reports about indigenous people and COVID, but she herself created this incredible piece of art made out of some of the body bags that UIHI received from the federal government to bring to light how even in 2020, even in 2021, even during a global pandemic, um, and even with all this access to wealth from a number of different places, Indigenous people are still not seen and still not cared for in the same way that other groups should be or have been in the past. So I highly recommend that folks look at this piece of art that Abigail echohawk made, and also look at the reports that UIHI puts out because it's in it's in conjunction with community work. I participated in a number of their surveys. And the reason I bring up Abigail and UIHI, is it goes into the conversation that you and I, John, were having, which was reactions by indigenous people to the vaccine. Um, one of the reports that UIHI collected data on was how Indigenous people are reacting to access to the vaccine, if people will take the vaccine. I look forward to when the when that uh, report is fully published. But I took part in that survey, and I was honest as I was as honest as <laughs> as I could be for myself, which was that I actually didn't want or trust the vaccine. I still am pretty uncomfortable with the fact that I, I got it. I got both do- doses of Moderna. I'm happy to have it. But there was, I did have an anxiety attack when I sat down to get this shot. Um, just remembering all of the historicized and genetic trauma, you know, remembering how diseases have been weaponized against our communities for hundreds of years, also realizing that, you know, Big Pharma isn't looking out for the community, but rather looking out for making profit. And so there was a number of things that I, I really didn't that irked me about getting this vaccine. Um, and I did it because I have to and because I need to and because it's important. But I still I understand why indigenous people um, are uncomfortable with getting the vaccine. I, I get it. It's it's a scary it's a scary, um it's a scary moment to relinquish control of your body to a federal government organization that literally doesn't care about you and sent body bags instead of PPE. So I think that for folks to be uncomfortable with getting the vaccine as indigenous people, it's understandable, But I would still advocate for us to all do it.
0: yeah, yeah. well, and and you mentioned about uh, you know not only were we least likely, to get some of this PPE and, frankly, access to testing or even uh, even vaccines. We were also last. We were not just least, yep. we were last. I mean, one of the biggest problems that I had was, you know, there was even though we have a, a really competent clinic here on the Seneca Nation territory, there was no testing available. Uh, unless it w- unless it came through from the the most local county or the or from the state, and now I can I can pretty much get get tested weekly, uh, and and but that wasn't the way it was in the beginning, so when you don't have that kind of access to even know who or how many or you know where the pockets of infection are i mean contact contact tracing is uh, is irrelevant and so this this all contributes to this and and I, and I agree with you on i understand why people are apprehensive about getting the vaccine you know i i felt like because i have um somebody older than me living in my household that it was important that i uh, you know that i get it once it, it was once it was made available and i will say I know I've heard all kinds of horror stories associated with uh, with getting the vaccines, and some not so horrible. I mean, some just you know soreness or fatigue and that kind of stuff. I, I'm gonna say I suffered no uh, um, no ill effects. I didn't get any fever. I didn't get any you know sniffles or cough or or, or, or or fatigue, malaise, as they say. I suffered none of that. Now I'm not saying that that I'm special, <laughs> um, or that you know others may may experience some other uh, you know other effects what i, mean, I heard I was that most of the time special. you would get it on the second uh, you would get it on the second dose more so than the, the first i've gotten both and i didn't and i just got mine the other day and and i haven't suffered any
1: i got knocked out john i got knocked out by the vaccine it put both me ones on or just the second my one but um the first okay so i got the first shot done And later, I got it earlier in the day. And by the evening, I didn't feel great. I had a little bit of a fever and um, I was a little nauseous. So I just went to sleep. And by the time I woke up, I was fine. But I got the second dose and it knocked me out for two to three days. Um, I was, I woke up the next morning and I couldn't move. My body was in so much pain. Uh, Walking was actually almost impossible. I have a dog and my roommates had to walk my dog for me that whole day. Um, I could not. It, it was actually, really, uh, actually really traumatic. Um,
0: well, and I, the, I, I, and again, you talked about anxiety. I mean, I, I'll admit when when I went in for my second shot, I was you know thinking, well, I guess I'm gonna get myself sick for a day or two. Yeah. Know? And and I, so I I had you know that level of anxiety. But I gotta think that if you start to feel those effects like you did it's gotta really make you anxious and, and you start gonna, you have to start wondering, well, how long is this gonna be? I mean, I know yeah. they're saying it's only a day. And, and most people that I know who have experienced this, they said it went away faster than it came. And and I don't oh. know what your experience was, but, um, that's, that's really, uh, you know, that's disheartening to hear that you, that you struggled so badly with it.
1: It was bad. It was uh, it was bad for me. I've, I've never actually been very sick. Like I've never gotten the flu like that before or anything. And I, I was incredibly ill. Um, and my arm actually where I got the shot swole up and I had a rash from the top of my arm to my wrist. That was just like a massive, uh, painful rash. So like, I actually had a very adverse (laughs) experience to to the vaccine, though I highly recommend still getting it. But for those who haven't gotten it yet, you know, take a day off, take a day off, don't go to work.
0: Yeah, you schedule, schedule your schedule it if you can so it works best for you. Hey, look, we're at the bottom of the hour, so we'll we'll take a break and we come and uh, and we'll come right back. I, I do want to talk more about this and and I and I specifically I want to talk about schools, so we'll, we'll we'll get into that a little bit. Maybe maybe we'll even do a little bit of an uh, a Deb Haaland update. We'll do that when we come back. All right, thanks for coming back. This is John Kane with Regan DeLoggins. You are listening to Resistance Radio with John and Regan, and you are listening on WBAI or perhaps on WPFW in Washington. Uh, I want to remind people that we are listener-supported radio, and we do count and depend, not just count. We're not just hopeful. We're, de- we're dependent on your contributions to the to the stations. Um, so I want to give out the, the pledge line for WBAI. It's 516-620-3602 and the premium we're offering is this show. We are offering the program. The program is the premium. Uh, so we're hoping that you're you're getting something from this program that you think has value and certainly that you, you consider uh, WAI to have have value. So I'm asking you again to go to the pledge line. It's uh, 516-620-3602. If you're listening in Washington, D.C. on WPFW, I ask that you go to that pledge line, which is 202-588-9739. You, on, in New York, you can go to WBAI's website, which is WBAI.org, or give. Two, that's G-I-V-E, the number two, WBAI.org. Uh, if you are in Washington and you want to make a contribution to WPFW, you can simply go to WPFWFM.org and follow the prompts for, uh, to make a donation there. Uh, you're, 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 any contribution, there's no such thing as too small a contribution unless it isn't a contribution. So I ask that you make a donation to these stations uh, in the name of Resistance Radio. Let them know how you feel about the program. Uh, How, you know, how you feel about uh, about the perspective offered by by John and Regan Uh, greatly appreciate it. All right. Um, Just before we get back into into the the longer conversation we're having about COVID and and school um, schools and and kids and that kind of stuff, um, the, the update on on Deb Hallen's confirmation. She made it through the committee that will, uh, you know, so she can go before the full Senate. The committee has been, uh, you know, the what was it? The committee on on energy or what is it? Uh, um, the yes, Senate it's the energy it's and the natural Co- resources committee. There it is. Um, and they voted really barely. She barely got through it. 11 to 9, she got through it. And and essentially, it took a Republican, you know, essentially to, to cross over. Um, uh, Lisa Murkowski from Alaska you know to you know to give her that that push over the line and, and and now she'll go before the full Senate you know there's something interesting and you know without you know belaboring how you or I feel about Deb Hallin uh, personally um, because of some of her her, her track record um, we we obviously th- Um, Don't want to see a woman being uh, uh, mistreated in, you know, in this male dominant culture. And we certainly don't want to see a woman of color, uh, you know, have to deal with both misogyny and racism, which is what she's had to experience throughout this uh, throughout these hearings. Um, And it's interesting because, you know, the march is considered, you know, uh, Women's History Month, and the history hasn't changed that much. Uh, again, the only Republican, I think, that, uh, that crossed over for was a woman, because, because white men are still troubled by the idea of uh, of a woman, specifically a woman of color, uh, being in a position of any kind of power or authority. So um, that's there's that. From what I understand, the likelihood is that um, that uh, Senator Collins from Maine will also is also planning to uh, support her nomination. So that means that of the Republicans, it's only two women that are uh, you know that have the R behind their names that are willing to cross over and support uh, a woman um, and uh, specifically a woman of color being um, advanced into uh, a cabinet position uh, in the Biden administration.
1: What I thought was really weird was that. Um... I mean, there's a lot of articles out. The Guardian put one out earlier today and a couple other folks did, too, about Deb Halland's um, hearing. And and what I thought was really, really odd was that Republican senators who who voted against Deb Halland uh, cited this specific study that uh, that was put out by one of the largest oil and gas trade associations, the American Petroleum Institute. This study came out um a while back and uh, these Republicans constantly cited the study, which has been criticized overtly by not just conservationists, but a number of other um, like environmental groups have, have really criticized this, this one study. Um, so I, I thought it was interesting that in order to uh, negate her validity in terms of being in, uh, in the cabinet, uh, they cited this like very out of date, very uh problematic report. Um, also, especially considering that uh, Deb Halland has made it very clear that she is not anti-oil and gas industry, that rather, she though she does support the Green New Deal and opposes fracking on federal land, she does not oppose fracking on private land and does is not anti-gas uh, and oil industry and believes that there is a necessity for that infrastructure. So she's the most not progressive Democrat in terms of uh, conservationism and the Green New Deal. So I find it really interesting that so many people, uh, so many Republicans were so anti-Deb Halland because in fact, a lot of her beliefs and a lot of what she says is um, is in harmony to their own belief systems. So I think that for me, this is just an exercise uh, and for a number of reasons of, uh, of, uh, of bullying kind of like this, like white boys club. They're like, well, we won't support a woman of color within politics, no matter, even if she agrees with a lot of our own beliefs. Um, so I think that this, uh, you know, I, I, have been following it pretty closely, not just for the show, but for my own interests. Um, and I'm surprised as to how intense, uh, conservative people are coming down on her being that her own stance is relatively conservative and she believes in the continuation of gas and oil industry in you know the so-called united states so uh i'm I'm surprised i'm surprised to
0: be honest well and 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 again let's look at this historically i mean there is uh, there's no there are no people in in the continent that have been more exploited for their natural resources for their lands for for all of this, the native people and so th- the idea that that the republicans specifically are opposing her uh, it, it's clear that it's because she's native uh, you know yes it's because she's a woman but but you know compo- uh, you know comp- compounding that is that she's native and the concern that's that a native person could somehow be empowered after and we look we've we've heard this said historically after all that has been done to native people can we risk putting them in a position of power and and i think that you know look they can they can cite a study that is you know that you know that any of us can dismiss out of hand but that's just the excuse for uh, for opposing her uh, you know i i honestly believe that the main opposition is because she's native, regardless of what you know what her her her, her stance has been on fossil fuels or, or will be on fossil fuels. I think they are just scared to death about uh, a native person who may be harboring this historical trauma. And their fear is that at any time it could it could rear its head and and somehow the United States would be uh, would would be held accountable. Uh, I wish that were true. I don't know that it is. But but I think that is that that's what lies at the heart of uh, of their, you know, their direct opposition to her.
1: Yeah, you know, and I, I'm curious to see how this will continue to, to unravel um, in terms of her uh, her being confirmed. You know, like you said, the panel voted 11 to 9 to approve her nomination, um, and it was the Alaska senator that sided with the Democrats to support – a Republican Alaska senator, Lisa Murkowski, I believe, um, who Murkowski, sided with the yeah. Democrats to support her nomination. So, she, you know, she is um, – you know, she has c- confirmed those votes. Nonetheless, I am curious to see how things uh, how things pan out in terms of her full confirmation. I'm curious to see if she is confirmed how uh, how middle of the aisle she will remain in terms of extractive industries, considering that there's a lot of momentum right now in Indian country organizing against line three and, know, DAPL, you know, there's a a bunch of indigenous youth are actually planning um, a a marathon, like cross-country marathon, to demand that the Biden administration fully ends both Line 3 and the Dakota Access Pipeline. So there's a lot of conversation and a lot of action happening in Indian country, specifically against the continuation of um, extractive industry. So I think that if she is confirmed, I think she will go straight into her position with a lot of people expecting her to make the right decisions. And after hearing her stance, Uh, on uh, in these hearings i don't believe she is on the same page as indian country i don't think she is um and so i'm curious to see let's
0: let's let's not dismiss you know the the land back movement which is still you know uh, which is still a, a constant drumbeat and that also is going to affect um or is going to elicit some response from her because of the you know the authority that she's supposed to have over federal lands uh the land back movement is going to challenge some of that so yeah it, it this is it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out you know that my my views on uh on the requirements or the need for the interior department to finally step up on some of the abuse that states have uh, um you know demonstrated against native gaming and that kind of stuff so no it, it's going to be interesting to see what what plays out it does look like she will get confirmed by the slimmest of Margins of, of any of uh, Biden's nominees, although one you know they did pull one of uh, his nominees already, um, but it looks like she'll she'll get through, but by the skin of her teeth. So it's um, uh, I guess it's it's typical to expect that, um, and, and again. I have my own, no pun intended, reservations about what uh, what happens.
1: <laughs> Sorry. Every time
0: I use that word, I got to throw that out there. Sorry.
1: Uh, I hate it. So, no, it, it's uh, I do too. Every time I'm like, the uh, Lord.
0: <laughs> All right. Hey, uh, you know, as as we wind down here, I, I you know, I do, uh, again, what uh, knowing what. What my family has experienced out here in Western New York, my my grandkids go to a public school off Native territory, and that school is is now you know they 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 contracted COVID from that or from from attending school, and there's no question about that. I mean it's uh it's it it's an obvious conclusion. So as we as we look at what's happening in in many states, but certainly in New York State, who again I have to reiterate has been leading all other states and today as i look at the numbers there's no other state that has more new cases confirmed than new york state and we're seeing what's gonna you know the push in new york city to get kids back in classrooms um we have new strains of the uh of covid that seem to be more infectious and perhaps even a little uh more resistant to the vaccines this you know it's shaping up for march to be really really disconcerting i mean the, the spring break issues come up and as you talked about this demand to try to get um you know the economy rolling and that kind of stuff um I, I think it's real easy people for people to forget that the numbers that exist right now, even though the new cases rates have dropped some and the hospitalizations have dropped, we're just at November numbers. We're not at pre-pandemic numbers or even any of the lulls that took place during the summertime. We're at numbers that are have only been you know, been outpaced during the worst months of, of December and January. So you know any complacency look we have to take this seriously folks wear your masks you know and try to minimize your exposure to other people and you know look i don't know how long we have to do this for but every time a level of complacency washes over the infection rate goes up and look there's there's already been what is it five hundred and thirty two thousand deaths associated with this uh, with this disease that's how many people have died that's not a small number and and you know even as you look at the the uh, the total number of cases the, the amount of people who are who are actively sick with this it's nine nine million people nine million americans are are actively um you know, carrying this uh, you know this disease with them and that and that's just the ones that they know the the likelihood is that it's that is that probably 10 times and and if you think that the vaccine is uh, is you know is reason to give us all you know a, a level of relief keep in mind that that to date only about um, 30 million people have been fully vaccinated in the United States out of a population of 330 million people so It's a long ways from vaccinations, you know, that that could demonstrate anything even close to herd immunity. We're not we're we're nowhere near that, folks. So, I mean, I can't impress upon people enough. And I I know, look, there's a there's a lot of, you know, there are a lot of voices out there about the things that you can do to make yourself more resistant. There's nothing that can make you more resistant to 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 infection and, and transmission than than staying away from other people. And and I know it's tough. We are social creatures, but look, you know, in the interest of your lives, the lives of your loved ones, and especially the lives of the, uh, of the elderly in your families, um, we have to be more responsible. Uh, and yes, we've we've got to limit some of our uh, some of our activities. We have to we we have to you know understand that our freedoms. You know while they may be valuable to you your your freedoms that come at the cost of somebody else's lives are not something that you should be you know uh, promoting and, and exploiting that's that's all i can say
1: you know i also want to i want to echo some of the things i said earlier um specifically about the work that the urban indian health institute is doing and i just double check to make sure and actually the survey that i participated in did they already published their findings uh, so I highly recommend for those who are Indigenous to take a look at the Strengthening Vaccine Efforts in Indian Country report put out by the UIHI. Um, I really appreciate this report not just because it provides uh, statistical information in relation to how uh, we are disproportionately impacted by COVID nineteen, but also it. I think it's an important conversation for Indigenous people to have in terms of fear of getting the vaccine, fear of uh, medical racism, fear, and like th- those fears are valid. I-, I want folks to understand that that you know there you're not alone if you are nervous about getting the vaccine as an Indigenous person. There are a number of people <laughs> who felt who feel the same way. And reading this report really helped, um, and just even walking through and doing the survey really helped me acknowledge how historic and current harms. Are perpetrated and perpetuated by healthcare institutions and the U.S. government, and that the contribution to the skepticism of vaccines is based in reality. You know, you're not uh, crazy or um, or paranoid or any of the. You know, like we have. To, you're not. Don't let. Don't be gaslit by the medical world, by the federal government, into thinking that you're crazy for not wanting the vaccine rather inform yourself respect your family your elders future generations of the broader indigenous community and really you know get this vaccine as a means to to move forward with our lives not as capitalists not as um you know not not as people who want to participate in the continuing harm of our community but rather as people who want to move forward and uplift our community so i highly recommend folks check out the the work that's being done Participate in surveys. Let your voice be heard in this way. Because you're not alone. I, Like I said, when I sat down, I had so much anxiety about getting a shot. I didn't want to get the vaccine. I really didn't. I don't trust the federal government. I don't trust big pharma. I didn't want to do it. And I did it because it's my duty and I recognize that the vaccine acceptance is a spectrum and that being willing to get vaccinated is about safety and effectiveness and accessibility and but that nonetheless we still have to acknowledge that there is a legacy of us being treated poorly by these larger
0: institutions. So well and I think it's important to realize that we're not endorsing the federal government's response because frankly it's sucked.
1: Hell
0: um, no. Nor, I've never. nor, nor <laughs> are we endorsing, you know, big pharma, you know, and uh, you know, and and praising, uh, praising them either. Look, and and I also want to be clear that that dis- the decision to get the vaccine is not just so that I or or Regan can can go right back to uh, you know, to our quote unquote normal lives.
1: Exactly. Because
0: I'm still going to keep my distance. I'm still going to wear a mask, I, and because frankly, my mistrust for the vaccine also tr- translates <laughs> to my mistrust to the effectiveness of the vaccine exactly. so uh, you know I'm just trying to take whatever steps I can to protect myself and the people around me that's that's what you know that, that's why the recommendation to, to taking the vaccine comes and you know and, and and again you know people can have a range of thoughts on this stuff but in the meantime wear a mask keep your distance get the vaccine when it comes up comes available and we can we can have longer debates and prolonged debates about uh about how wrong the pharmaceutical industry has done us all how wrong the federal government how wrong the state government has done you know as i as i watch you know a governor write a book you know praising his own work in the midst of a global pandemic i just shake my head with disgust and, and this is, you know, this is the, the, the world that we live in. I mean, it's, it, you know, it, it's a, it's absurd. So, um, and, and again, my mistrust for government crosses party lines. And, you know, and and we're going to see how all of this plays out in the, in the long run. But in the short term, um, look, I'm going to do everything I can to not have to rely on, you know, you know on hospital care on uh on on governments and on government services um and you know but but i will take uh, i'll take the opportunity to you know to to get a vaccine i'll take the opportunity if you know if for whatever reason i have no access to ppe if it uh if it comes available through a government program i'm gonna get i'm gonna get the mask i'm gonna get you know whatever i need to protect myself and my loved ones so I- that's what i'm telling people to do
1: I feel the same. way. I just think it's really important for us as Indigenous people to move through the hesitancy that we have. You know, there is an interconnectedness um, between skepticism of the vaccine, healthcare, federal government, like a number, a number of things that are are valid. Um, you know, recalling historical abuses and unethical research. Like I, I, you know, I share the concerns of other Indigenous people throughout Indian Country who are fearful of the rapid development of this vaccine and fearful of being quote unquote, guinea pigs. And I understand, um, and I think that what, I think that we can navigate and walk through this hesitancy together for community health.
0: Well, and I think, you know, when when we decide to draw the line on where we're going to resist and where we're gonna fight back, let's draw it on the things that, uh, that where our resistance is going to have effect. Our failure to protect ourselves and take a vaccine is not, prob- is not where that line should be. Look, I want to thank everybody for listening. I want to thank you, Regan, for joining me. And we'll be back next week. This is Resistance Radio. Yahweh.